Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Keep Calm and Cope CoronaCast. We hope everyone is you know, handling things as best as they can, considering the circumstances under this COVID-19 crisis we're all experiencing globally. Even those who don't believe it's real, they're still experiencing this. So we thought it would be helpful to each week talk about the various stages of grief that we're going through and maybe some of the topics that people are um, that are weighing heavily on their minds. So today's host is our uh, regular co-host, Marcy Shunk, who's going to talk to us about bargaining. Marcy, thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. Uh, so we are here this morning with Lindsay Griffiths, and pretty soon uh, Katie Barnard will be sh joining us as well. And as Susan mentioned, we are walking through the five stages of grief, and we are at stage three, which is bargaining. So the five stages of grief are from uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler. And the bargaining stage, well, it's interesting. We were talking about the stages actually as a group as we were getting on the call. And what I find especially unique about these is these stages are not always linear. And then you also don't necessarily need to experience any of them at all, right? So you could maybe do one or two of the stages of grief, but not necessarily all five of the stages of grief as you're going through this process. So bargaining in the five stages of grief is typically the briefest stage. And conceptually, it's a willingness to make a major life change to get things back to normal. So in our current situation, if I shelter in place for a month, after that, I can return to my normal life. Or for me, it's, if I shelter in place for a month, I can get my cleaners back, which would be great. Um, <laughs> so it represents the idea of really holding out for an alternate future. So we desperately want to believe when this is over, life is going to return to the way we knew it before the pandemic. And unfortunately, that likelihood is probably slim to none. So ultimately, I think we're sitting here trying to figure out where that leaves us and what is our life going to look like and how is it going to be different when this is all over and, and when, right? I think a lot of us are wondering when this is all going to, to change and go back to some semblance of normal, more normalcy. Hmm. You know, Marcy, yesterday I had a call with about 22 businesswomen, like C-suite women, and it was amazing to hear um, the range of thoughts about what the new, new normal would look like. Some thought it would be just like it was before. Others were like, are you crazy? This is, we're never going to go back to the way it was. So what a good point you make. Yeah. It, it really is a fascinating point. And I, I always like to think about, you know, the way things might change for the better. Um, so we can certainly have that conversation later on today, because I think it's, it's an interesting topic and an interesting conversation just to determine what are the things that we're doing today, whether it's just even working from home and working remotely. Uh, I read an article this morning about you know the concept that maybe the wet ink mandate on contracts and things may go by the wayside and then everything will be done electronically, which would entirely change the transactional world in some ways. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But I think you know, everybody has some examples of bargaining, I would imagine, it not necessarily new to the pandemic. So, you know, the if I cook dinner every night, I'll splurge on takeout, or if I eat well during the day, I can have that cookie or that glass of wine. So those are really concepts, I think, that are that basic level bargaining, where we're bargaining with ourselves. But there's also this idea of people who 
are bargaining with the universe or bargaining with God about whoever they think is in control <coughs> and trying to really get through this by negotiating uh, their way through it. So I'm curious if, are you, either of you experiencing this stage of grief if at all, the, the concept of bargaining? This is a, it's a tough one for me. Um, I feel like I'm not, uh, this is the one stage <laughs> that I, yeah, that I, I really, I, I, I haven't struggled with, I think. Um, I definitely see it around me, which is very interesting. Um, people who are like, okay, so, you know, I have a couple of, I, I'm, I'm a runner and I have friends who are runners and I have friends who are, who are still running together, but they're like, okay, if we run on opposite sides of the road, we can still run together three days a week. Um, you know, that's social distancing. So it still counts. Um, even though they're saying that you really shouldn't run together with people outside your household. Um, and then there's a, a, a religious group, a very um, strict religious group that lives not far away from here. Um, and the town that they're in has the highest l number of cases in our county. And um, a friend of mine was telling me last night that um, a lot of them, because they have a holiday right around now, a lot of them have been quarantining themselves for the last two, three weeks so that they could get together um, for this holiday. And so I think that's an interesting um, example of bargaining. It's the idea of like, okay, well, they're saying that the incubation period is about two weeks. So if we stay home for a couple of weeks and we don't go anywhere, that means we can get together for the holiday. And it's like, well, it doesn't exactly work like that. <laughs> We're still not supposed to get together for, for holidays or anything. Um, so I think it's this, um, this thing that we are seeing a lot of in society, and, and I'm not really experiencing it myself. Um, I think I maybe am in the sense of like, if I follow the rules and do what the government mandates are asking us to do, we will get to a point where we can go back to the way things were. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely open to a new normal. Um, but I'm really looking forward to hugging my friends and family again. And, you know, this idea that um, Dr. Fauci came out with the other day that we're not going to be, we may get to a point where we're not shaking hands anymore, which means probably we're not going to be doing a lot of hugging with people that we either don't know well or even um, people we do know well. Um, I, I do a lot of international travel. And so obviously Europeans are big on, you know, kissing on each cheek and just thinking about potentially getting rid of that custom is, uh, is a big, that's big. Um, and, uh, and that to me is, is a bit shocking. So you think like, okay, well, so I guess in the sense of, of bargaining, I think, well, I'm, I think if I'm going to follow all the rules, then shouldn't we be able to get back to that? So, um, maybe in that sense, I, I am bargaining, but, um, you know, otherwise, yeah, I haven't struggled with it that much. That whole hugging concept is a fascinating one. And I don't know if you're experiencing this. I was talking about this with my mom the other day, where if you're even walking, you know, in your neighborhood, or if you have to, knock on wood, I have not gone into the grocery store very much. Um, but if you have to go into the grocery store, or the drugstore for something, that there is this sense almost of fear of other people. Yeah. Or, or this almost dis, not disdain. That's that's not the right word, but this general sense of keep that foreign body away from me, which yeah. is a very odd feeling to have about other people. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as a, a runner, we're generally the kind of group where when you do see someone out, especially if you're running, you wave to them, um, you smile. And our, um, I was watching a, a Facebook Live with our police chief last night and our, you know, the, the guidance is that you're supposed to wear a mask when you're outside or, or cloth covering of your face when you're outside. And I have been doing that when I'm, I'm still not running yet because I'm recovering from hip surgery, but um, I have been doing that because people are not social distancing, even when they're out on walks and we're all taking a lot more walks these days. It's the only chance we get to be outside a lot of the time. Um, and so it is hard, I think, to try to connect with people when you're outside when you immediately need to cross the street when you see someone so it's that idea of like oh god another person i need to get away from them but at the same time try and still be friendly and make that human connection because you you want to feel that way about someone um so uh it it is that it's a weird push and pull at the same time um and yeah when you are i, I haven't been to a store in three, over three weeks, uh, almost four weeks now. Uh, I've been ordering everything online. Um, and, uh, and, and that idea of like, yeah, I need to rush to get away from someone, but still trying to give, inject some of that human kindness into it at the same time is, is a really challenging thing. And when you don't have that benefit of half of your face, cause you've got to cover it up. So you have to communicate a lot through either verbal communication or with your eyes, um, you know, as, as opposed to some other body language op opportunities that you have. You got to mm -hmm. flash the peace sign. Yeah. <laughs> Hi everybody. It's Katie. Katie. Hi Katie. Hi Katie. So, we, we are talking about ways this, well, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, I think talking about this, but we started off talking about the concept of bargaining and we were specifically asking if either of you or any of you now, I guess, have experienced the kind of bargaining where you're negotiating with yourself or with God or the universe. Um, so Lindsay said that's not necessarily something that is common for her. Um, I think I fall a little bit into that category as well, minus, as I said, you know, wanting to do whatever it takes to have my cleaners back in my house. Um, but other than that, are you going through that at all? Um, that was me yesterday, for sure. Um, <laughs> As, as you all know, I'm trying to work and have, a new, have an infant here uh, because we don't feel right sending her to daycare, but our daycare is three minutes from the house and it remains open because some of the parents are essential workers. And it was yesterday, just this like, I could be getting so much done if she was at daycare. And then it was kind of a, okay, you know, our local stay-at-home ordinance is April 23rd. Would I feel right sending her there after that? or you know, statewide, they're saying April 30th. Would I feel okay sending her after that? Mm. Um, and so kind of, it was almost this, I know that I can get through the stress of this work if, if there is a firm date, if I can bargain my way into a firm date um, to tell myself that this is temporary. Yeah. Um, but otherwise then, you know, you get into the bargaining of, Am I really okay with the idea of sending this infant to daycare? She's probably a low risk, but what does that mean for me? What kind of deals am I cutting here? Um, so that's really been the, the crux of my bargaining is figuring out how to best care for my newborn, not newborn anymore, slip of the tongue, care for my infant <laughs> um, and not lose my mind <laughs> to still get work done. And I love her so much, but when she's here and I'm trying to work, nobody's getting my best 
Um, and that's been really deflating this week. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting. I think that's true of a lot. I was reading an article the other day about, you know, we just, the, what we're asking of ourselves is too much. And so some level of acknowledgement that the work productivity is going to decline if we want to be good parents and good family members yeah. is, is a reality that, you know, some businesses I don't know are necessarily taking to heart. I think generally businesses and people are being good to one another right now. However, there is a level of expected productivity in certain instances where you have the work to do that, that makes it more challenging. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pop in right now. This is Susan. Um, this concept, not in the business setting or in the, you know, day-to-day world is, is not foreign to me at all, but this concept in any kind of stage of grief or on that spectrum of grief is foreign to me. Um, I think because I am a realist, I sit with the way it is. I don't go through this. This phase is like, what, who, who does that? But I hear you and I'm learning about it and I'm reading and I'm listening and it's making sense to me. I just personally don't, um, I'm not linked with, it's not linked to me or I'm not linked with this stage of grief. I, I actually didn't understand it at all before we, um, Marcy, before you did all that great research and shared that with us this morning. Um, so I'm listening intently. Is that odd that I don't relate with this stage of grief? So you're not cutting deals with the universe, Susan? No. I mean, it is what it is. I'm (laughs) sitting with it. Maybe I'm online ordering more than I normally would. Is that, does that count? (laughs) I don't think that's odd. Yes. I I went through the same thoughts with respect to this. And I think the one thing, so there was an article that in the Harvard Business Review with David Kessler that talked about the fact that we're experiencing grief. And one of the comments he made is that guilt is a common wingman of bargaining, which I think is such a great sentence. Um, but the idea that you know we're feeling guilt and it's manifesting ourselves, that sounded awfully familiar to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I suddenly felt like I was in a confessional where I had to say, you know, I am in a co-parenting situation, which puts me and my kids at a different level of risk for, than, say, you know, a family uh, yeah. that can stay within a single house. Oh, yeah. preach, preach, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it changes the dynamic. And so, and then you feel guilty and then you wonder, well, should I be cutting that off? And what does that look like? And so it's definitely, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> Well, and then there's a whole another level of guilt if you cut that off. So you're just going to feel right. guilt no matter what. Either way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Catholic? Because yeah. I'll tell you. I was just going to say I'm Catholic. Like that's part of my yeah. life, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So but you know, yeah, I mean, my mom raised me with the good Catholic guilt. So yeah, guilt is um, the gift that keeps on giving for those yeah. who know how to use it appropriately. <laughs> sure. well, and I apologize if this has been covered, but kind of what I said earlier about like that feeling that nobody's getting my best. Yeah, um, And that really was just a, a weight on me yesterday where I'm not my best professional self. Um, I'm getting work done. Some of it I'm proud of, but some of it either I don't have the brain space for, or it's just, it's just getting done to get done. Do you think um, that's your own I'm, inside? Um, I, I'm going to finish this thought and then I would love you to ask me that again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my professional self is not fully where, where I am. Um, I don't feel like I'm, 
fully engaged with you know my infant because I'm playing I'm not playing on my phone but I'm checking email I'm reading the news on my phone when I'm with her um, not having as much fun with my husband because we're both stressed with my lovely bonus daughters it's you know I miss they all went to roast marshmallows in the backyard with with their dad which is a really fun nice family memory of coronavirus and I'm inside working um, and, and so the, the guilt of of not being my best for literally anyone was was really tough yesterday and and Susan you asked a great question I think that probably is just me on me um, holding yourself to a standard um, you know it's not like my clients are saying this sucks or you know the girls are saying you're the worst but but when you're used to giving a lot of yourself and you just can't um, that's tough and so yeah, maybe that's why I'm like yearning for that magic date of like, after this date, things will go back to normal. And why I'm trying to cut that bargain. Mm -hmm. Katie, I totally identify with that. I don't have the same situations at home that you do, but um, one of my friends had posted a, a tweet recently that said, it, it was an important distinction and it said, you're not working from home, you're at home in a crisis trying to work. And I think to me, I've been trying to keep that in mind because even though I've always worked from home, not always, but in the last 15 years I've worked from home, um, I was really struggling with this idea the first week of, you know, why am I having so much trouble focusing? You know, this should be no different to me than a regular week, um, and especially the last three weeks. And I, I realized, you know, there's still a lot going on you know I've, I've got a, a lot of new things happening because more people have needed me than ever before you know I'm doing a lot more work than ever before and different things are going on my schedule has still changed and same thing with you I mean you you're now working from home you've got everybody in the house at home all the time um, you know so there's a lot of, of pull in your in your schedule so of course no nothing is going to be getting your full attention and nothing is going to be working perfectly um, and I'm trying to be a recovering perfectionist, but I didn't try to try to do that perfectly. Um, so <laughs> it's extremely hard when you demand so much of yourself and then you fall short on all of those, um, all of those levels. Um, yeah. and, and I think the guilt of that is a very real thing. So, um, trying to give yourself a little grace and space in that is, is extremely important, but also extremely difficult. Amen. You said something Amen. once that um, resonated on one of our conversations and it stuck with me. There are things we're feeling that we don't acknowledge overtly that we're feeling. There are things happening, um, or maybe it was you, Marcy, I'm not sure, but one of you said something about how um, perhaps we're not sleeping as well or um, <clears throat> some of our self-care habits have changed not consciously. Um, mm -hmm. so we're manifesting, you know, in ways that are not as conscious or overt or intentional, uh, this thing that we're going through, I think maybe that's what it is because I didn't relate at all with bargaining. I didn't understand, you know, it is what it is. It's fact-based. There's no, you know, how can you, if this, then that, when, you know, it's right in front of your face. But now I see, um, you're talking about you know, how this manifests itself, uh, not guilt. I'm not a big guilt person. I mean, I believe that, you know, guilt and gossip are two worthless endeavors. If it's going to make you feel bad, don't do it. But that's an active 
choice. You're talking right now about things that are beyond our choice and how they're manifesting in our lives. And like, for example, my husband leaves the house and goes to his office two days a week. And I think that's, you know, bunk because the rest of us can't do that. Although I work from home. So, but, but people who do go and do the office and I was trying to relay my situation to your stories about bargaining. And he's like, well, if I go into the office two days a week, I can get everything signed and then work from home. But that doesn't mean that he's not putting himself and our family at risk those two days, just because it's two days versus five days. So would that be an example of what we're talking about here for bargaining? I think so. I mean, I don't know that it necessarily matters per se with respect to the labeling. Um, I don't know that we're experiencing bargaining and guilt in the same way that it was intended when, you know, the five stages of grief were written, but I don't know that that matters so much as much right. as just acknowledging what it is that we are experiencing and feeling. There was another um, interesting concept that was in the HBR article that was a little bit tangential to the topic of bargaining, but also related, which was the concept of anticipatory grief, which I found incredible. It just spoke to me. It was one of those things. He said, okay, this, and they always say that anticipatory grief often manifests itself as anxiety. So it's this whole concept of a loss of security. So there have been these memes out with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you're looking at if you don't have security, you've got nothing, right? So if you look at an organizational culture without security, that it starts to deteriorate the culture. It's foundational to our personal health and well-being and mental state. And so all of a sudden, we're in a world where we don't have the level of security that we previously did. We don't feel safe. So that feeling that I think you were just describing, it's going to be underlying everything we do. So the idea that even if we have the same number of hours in the day to be sitting in front of our computer, which many of us don't because we now have, you know, friends that are reaching out to us because they need things or children that are coming in or whatever it may be, then even though we have that same amount of time doesn't necessarily mean that we are in the same state or, or mentality to be able to accomplish the same amount during that time frame. That I totally relate to. Now, this this idea, um, anticipatory grief to me, what I mean, I could have been wrong all these years, but um, it, it's still, I get it. Uh, for me, it's, you know, when you have, so let's just, the example that I've always aligned it with is you have a loved one who is, uh, you know, suffering with cancer or Alzheimer's or, you, you know, and, and they're not the same person they once were and you never know when their last day will be here. And you live with that constant anxiety of loss, even though they haven't died. Um, you don't know when they'll die. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, this is, this is eating away at me. So that is where I totally can relate. Um, but now I'm starting to see what you're saying in the way of it being about a loss of security. Um, and for me, that's the unknown, uh, the things I can't control, letting them go and being able to sit with the letting them go managing my attention and not just my time. Uh, That's a really important thing to do, especially in this crisis is to learn how to manage your attention, not just Mm -hmm. your time. So now you're clicking with me and inside my head and my heart. um, I get that. 
I think, I mean, this is such a huge topic because I think there is, I agree with all of that. And, and I mean, the idea of, you know, there's anticipatory grief in the sense of, um, you know, this could affect people that we love and care about. And, you know, I think at this point, we probably all know somebody who has coronavirus and, you know, what does that mean? And could it seriously affect them? And could they get some people have been exposed and haven't gotten sick and some people have gotten sick and some people are in the hospital, um, you know, and, and that's a very scary thing. And uh, could we lose people? That's a very scary thing. Um, and then also, as you say, like what parts of our lives could change, what parts could change for the better, what parts might change for the worse. Um, and then also from an economic perspective, I mean, a lot of us, you know, everybody is as, uncertain about their their future in terms of their business you know yes. I'm, I'm running running my own business and I know how it's going to be roughly for the rest of the year but I don't know what it's going to look like beyond that is it still going to be here um, what's the travel industry going to look like past that and are we going to still have conferences where we can meet face to face am I going to see my lawyers again um, you know, said and, no and one ever <laughs> I know I know I know, I know. <laughs> Um, you know, but there's a lot, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of, of unknowns and, and, uh, you know, that idea of, of mourning some of the things that may need to change and being realistic, but also being a little bit sad about, um, yeah. maybe those things happening, um, oh, and some of them and being grateful for some of them, but also not at the same time. So. Absolutely. Our, our office lease is up in October. Um, oh, wow. There's and a I keep thinking like, okay, you know, if, if business is really tough or if we're still not allowed to see each other, um, that's going to be something I have to let go and we'll all work from home. And I have incredible anticipatory grief about that. Yeah. Um, Su Susan knows I work with all women. Um, I adore them. Um, You're it, is amazing. it is a sense of or it is, it gives me, it, it, it's a place that I feel refueled and, and proud of. And um, it's very important. And the idea that, okay, like I need to be, I need to be preparing to possibly let that go. is tough. So Katie, I've heard you talk about the women in your office and when you do, it's just glowing reviews. I mean, it's, it feels like you get fulfilled from being with them. So absolutely, I, it's almost mm -hmm. like you're, if you have to close that down, it's almost like you're cutting off a limb or losing a part of yourself. I, I get it. I mean, um, y'all, this sad story, just really quickly. I meant to say it earlier when Lindsay said, we, we all know someone who has COVID-19. Um, not to bring us down on this podcast, but keeping it real. This is the saddest story of all the stories I've heard to date. A friend of mine's friend committed suicide because her mother died of COVID-19. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Two lives lost to this. Oh God, because, you know, that's awful. And, and I don't want to judge her. I'm thinking, what the hell? Why would she do, you know, I love my mom too. Hey, but come on. This is, and that's judgmental. So I had to pull back on those thoughts. I mean, I don't know what pain she was going through or what state she was in, but how yeah. sad is that? She may have had other things going on. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. That's, sure. that's brutal. Mm -hmm. Brutal is the, that's the word I used to tell my friend. I was like, wow. And my friend was upset and crying over this, of course, because that's her friend. I mean, it just really right. is far reaching. Right. We, They've gone from anticipatory grief to actual grief, you know. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 
Well, and yeah. it, well, and it ties back to, I think, where we started, which was this idea that we do, we worry about our loved ones getting sick. I mean, every time my mother tells me she's gone to the grocery store, I jump down her throat. Like, what are you <laughs> yes. thinking? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't do in that. The There's no reason to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Prime now, Instacart. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the things you anticipate might change? Um, I know, Katie, you gave a great example in your own personal life. Um, Lindsay, you did too. What about you, Marcy? The, the travel, as I was listening to Lindsay. So I had a client, one of my larger clients for the year, cut off, well, they cut off their spending and they indicated that there will be no group gatherings larger than five through the end of the year. Wow. Now, Yes. It's, it, to me, it sounds a bit draconian. You know, I don't know that there's necessarily at this point indicators to say that that's how it's going to be um, right. for everybody. But it was enough to, for me, who I travel a couple of times a month for work, I do on-site programming. And it's also, being a single mom, a bit of a lifeline for me because yeah. it gives me my adult time. It lets me feel like a person in some, you know, it gives me that, that social contact. It yeah. gives me that the, even, even if it's just time alone in my hotel room where I'm working or watching a movie, it gives me space that I may not otherwise get. And so yeah. that concept to me is one that causes me some anticipatory grief is when am I going to be able to put travel back into my life and personal travel too. I mean, I have great girlfriends with whom I travel regularly and knock on wood, we got to go to Belize and Miami and New York last year all together. And so not having that outlet is, is certainly something that I, I miss out on or anticipate missing out on as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, I totally get that. And, and I, uh, I have, I'm supposed to run the Berlin marathon in September and oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, we've been, we've been watching that very closely and the general consensus is that there, I mean, the marathon organizers have said they're still planning on it, but we all think that even if they open up international travel again, um, they're probably not going to have a gathering of that size by then. So, especially because there's assumed to be a, another spike in the fall of the, the virus. Wave. So, yeah. yeah. Wave. So, um, it's September 27th is when it's supposed to be. So we think they'll probably defer it to next year if they do that at all. But, uh, so my, fl and the other day my flight got canceled. I'm going with, uh, with three friends. And, um, so I had to tell them our flights got canceled. And then it turned out that the flights were only canceled because they decided not to have, um, um, direct flights from Philadelphia to Berlin. And so I was able to rebook them, but that's, it's really just a temporary thing. So it was, it was very funny. It was like up and then down and up again. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, all of those things, the personal travel, the, the, um, the business travel. And, you know, for us, I think um, we tend to, to think that probably domestic travel may pick up again. But I think the question too is, um, you know, there's going to be the, a difference between what governments and businesses will allow and permit, and then what people are going to be comfortable doing, you know, yeah. will, will, obviously companies are going to want to build back the economics up again, but you know, how comfortable are we going to be 
and Katie touched on this earlier, are we going to be with, you know, sending our kids back to daycare, going out to concerts or being in big groups? Like, obviously we're going to be happy to go out to dinner with our friends and do that kind of thing. But like, how comfortable am I going to feel running with 10,000 of my closest friends at an international marathon with people from all over the world? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, give me a fashion mask and I'll get out there. But um, right. I'm, I'm a little worried about, I mean, the, the nature of the work that I do, and Marcy, you and I are aligned on this. I mean, if I'm not in person doing workshops and interacting with the audience, whether it's a size 30, a size of, an audience a size of 30 or 300, I have to interact with people. It's part of what I do. I mean, when you're teaching what I teach, you have to... Um, you know, have people up on the stage and communicate without words or sounds and lots of things that I do. It, it depends on being with other people for me to get paid to do what I do for a living. So that is something I haven't voiced. But when you said that, Marcy, I'm like, you know, um, I talked to my husband about it last night. We were up, you know, those nights when you can't sleep and you can't exactly pinpoint why. Yes. Um, yeah, so I know those two, very well lately. <laughs> yeah. Well, girl, you can call me because if it's 2 a.m. my time in California, we are up. <laughs> we, yeah. We used to get some of our best work done at those hours. Now we're sitting here going, where the F do we go from here? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's a great anticipatory grief that's weighing heavily on me. Um, the things I do for giving, I can easily continue to do, but, um, how do I maintain my actual work and pay bills and, you know, contribute to my son's tuition and my family's expenses. And I've always been a big contributor and it's important to me and I'm afraid. Yeah. Have any of you found that when you try to have substitutes for the things like, uh, Marcy, you talked about your girls group and travel that when you try to, you know, get the girls group together on Zoom, it actually makes the grief a little worse. Yes. Yes, I hear you. And I, I, we have done that. And it is sometimes a little bit like, oh, you know, I really love these people and I'd rather be sitting poolside with them as opposed right. to, you know, looking at them through a video camera. So yes, I completely, I completely feel that and see that. And on the flip side, I also, I have been in touch with people that I may not be in touch with as frequently when this wasn't going on, which I do think is an upside that I'd like to see continue. Yeah. Maybe not to the same extent because I don't, yes. Lindsay, you alluded to this is there's also a draining factor, right? For us introverts is, is yes, you want the social contact and connection, but at the same time, you know, when it's constant, you're not getting that downtime, even if it's yes. remote, it's still constant. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it's harder to kind of put a barrier around yourself as you, as the proverbial, you know, going and hiding in your room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love, I love my friends and they're very dear to me, but I have some extrovert friends who are not dealing with this super well and need a lot of reassurance and a lot of contact. And I feel like I'm managing those relationships um, well into the night and it's like, okay, guys, you got to figure this out. <laughs> maybe, Sorry, talk, maybe talk to each other. Um, but, Sorry. uh, you know, and that not, not you, Susan, you're fine. Um, but, uh, you know, some of them I'm like, okay, like, let's figure this out. Um, 
I, uh, but I've been, I, I have to say, I've been fortunate because like I have a group of, of girlfriends locally and we had started using a Marco Polo, the video um, messaging app well before this, um, this pandemic. And uh, so we've just kept that up during this and that's been a lifeline for Wait, us. Wait, what is that? It's, um, it's sort of, it's, the kids call it um, Snapchat for old people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so. who Marco Polo is. Yeah, um, reminds me of those pool games we played as kids. Uh, but yeah, so it's a it's a video messaging app, and you can either have groups on it or you can have like one to one conversations, and um, you can either watch people as they're recording them, or usually what happens is someone will record a video message, and you come and you watch it later. So um, wow, it's it's really great. Um, so we, we there's a group of five of us, and uh, and we share back and forth um and uh so we we had been doing that anyways and it, you know we're all local and i see these women i that's i ran a marathon with a couple of them last year we train and run together but obviously we can't see each other at the moment um but we had already established that so for us it wasn't that unusual to just keep it going um so that's felt very normal to us uh it's a, been a bright spot um although things have you know, changed a little bit because we're all not actually, I can't say that we're not all home. One of us is a, uh, um, physical therapist in a nursing home. Um, oh, she, goodness. She, yeah. And she got exposed last week. So, um, it's been a tough week and another woman's husband is a nurse who works with, um, positive patients every day. So that's, also wow. that's hard. Wow. Um, um, that's scary. So let me ask you where I live, all the hotels are shut down except for those who are providing um, you know, shelter for the first responders. So if you're a healthcare professional or you are a cop or a fireman, you firewoman, fire person, you have a place to stay in those hotels, but they're bleeding money. Like they're, you know, I don't know this, this, this is scary for everyone, but, um, I think Marcy, you put the, the, perspective into play when you said, you know, let's not everybody rush out and buy all this, hoard all this protective equipment because the first responders need that. So I, I think this is another way of extending to them. Um, and yesterday I saw that our pet daycare place, it's sort of like the Ritz for doggies and cats. Um, <laughs> people love their animals as if they're a family. I know I do. And they are open for first responders pets so that they'll care for them while the first responders are at the hospitals, nursing homes, facilities. Awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. I thought that was a little positive. Um, but yeah, this is a scary time. Mostly I'm not scared of the actual coronavirus. Um, I actually had to sit with it for a week and a half wondering if I had it. Remember um, it took yes. to get the test results back was not anxious at all about the actuality of it. What I am afraid of is the unknowns with uh, other people that I love and care about, less about me and more about my business and my son and my husband and my friends. Um, so yeah, now I'm getting, you know, I, I'm getting a really great understanding of anticipatory grief. Thank you, Marcy, for bringing that up. Um, I wonder what are the positives, maybe some, you know, changes that are on our radar we're for how we're going to do things differently or hoping we might come out of this, you know, in a good way. I think we're all starting to not take teachers for granted. Um, 
Oh yeah. (laughs) There had been, it had kind of bothered me. Um, There had been kind of a dialogue and memes and things on Facebook of, I just saw people criticizing their, their kids' teachers for the past couple of years of, you know, this, you know, they dared to give my baby a B and, you know, things like that, where, you know, when your baby there to see so right <laughs> like there was there was kind of a, a societal tide i think against teachers agreed and now and now that we are all in that chair um i'm seeing a lot more acknowledgement of how hard that job is um are the teachers doing it perfectly right now no is anybody no um but when you see how much goes into executing the lesson plans i would like to think that a greater respect for teachers is something we come out with. I'd like to think that a greater respect for grocery workers, um, yes. restaurant yeah. workers, all the all the frontline folks is something that we remember. Custodians, um, absolutely, yes. mm-hmm. keeping it um, clean. I'd, yeah, I'd like to think that maybe we're a little bit nicer. Well, from what I've heard, they're not being that nice to them now. So yeah. Would be nice if they started that now. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being kind. You never think you'd have to sell that. You know, like, why are we having to promote being kind? Shouldn't it just be who we are? Um, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, we all have our shadow side, and we'll talk about that on one of the podcasts. But um, let me ask you this. So in my community, and you may or may not be doing this, but if you're not, you might think about it. We have, I personally have a lot of connection with people on the school board, with teachers, with uh, elected officials in the education system. And we have done major brainstorming sessions and people like myself and you ladies are, are, I think we're pretty smart. We're certainly able to teach and to help, um, you know, children learn in many ways. We have done something, um, I'm adopting a teacher. Let's just say that. So I have adopted a teacher and I'm making all of my technology available to this person so that she can then teach her class while she's still trying to juggle homeschooling her own children. So I'm so glad that you brought that up, Katie, because that is really, I mean, I wonder what this is going to do to the future. Um, You know, these kids who are having big, huge gaps in learning and their experience at school, it's not just about ABCs. It's about the experience with others, the social norms that take place. So um, we're here. You might want to think about it. I mean, that's a, that's a great idea, but I saw, I have a couple teacher friends locally and one of them posted a great, um, a great thing the other day about how, you know, yes, there is the social norms and, and there's a lot of things kids are missing out on, but what they are learning at home at the same time during this is that idea of, you know, greater empathy for the world. And, you know, what if they learn that school, there's more to life than school that, you know, there's this idea of a world that's bigger than them that, you know, we need to stay home for right now. And, um, good point. What if, what if we're Mm -hmm. really training the next generation of leaders by this period of time in which these kids are forced to stay home and, and learn other skills that they're finding because they're having to be home right now and not do the things they would ordinarily do to be a little more creative. So I think there's a really interesting aspect to this that we may not be thinking of because we are also focused on the way things normally have to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and and I'm hoping that on the other side of this too, there'll be more integration of all of these great online learning tools. Yes. One of the yes. things I've seen is there's a lot of, my older son in particular is, he goes down these paths, um, not necessarily when he's supposed to. So maybe when he's supposed to be working on an assignment for whatever topic, he gets on the platform and he starts going down these other places. And so yesterday I walked in to check on him. He was supposed to be doing science, I think. And he was, you know, watching a video on the Ku Klux Klan. And oh. I said, okay, you know, I think that's fantastic that you're curious. He loves history and that you want to learn more about this, but can we finish the assignments first? So, but that idea that I think there are opportunities for them to follow their own curiosity that yeah. are always there in a, in a traditional school structure, which is fantastic. And the fact that they're using the time to do that is great. So I like that kind of that independent study concept. I think there's also opportunities and I was well aware. So my older son is ADHD. And so his capacity to organize his time, he needs help. And so for him, teaching him how to take his assignments and turn them into bite-sized pieces and help him plan. I, he certainly gets that at school, but I think it's helpful to get that one-on-one -on -one at home as well so that he can start to think about how to, how to manage himself, which is where I want to get him. Yeah. Um, and then cleaning. <laughs> I, I was sitting there saying, I'm like, I, we didn't have cleaners when I was growing up. You know, I cleaned my house with my mom every Saturday mm -hmm. and I sat there and I'm like, oh, you don't know how to clean the bathroom and clean the toilet and sweep the floor. You know, I mean, they only generally sweep the floor, but for the most part, I was teaching them all of these new concepts that they, that were just, you know, ooh, <laughs> which, which was, I found uh, both hilarious and rewarding from from my perspective, and because they love Annie, they were singing Hard Knock Life at the same time. Aww. <laughs> That's so cute. Next week's lesson, yeah. kids will be cooking. <laughs> yes. Oh, they've got that. Yes. Yep. They're enjoying that. And so, I think that too, from a business perspective, I mean, you know, you think about like more integrated learning in the classroom and maybe there'll be room for doing some digital learning for kids who maybe are sick at home, but not so sick that, you know, they can't participate in the classroom learning. And so they're not missing as much. And we can do more of that with, with work as well. You know, as you were saying at the, the top of the episode, Marcy, like what are there things that we can be doing in business digitally that we always thought like, well, no, I have to do this in person. You know, some meetings don't have to happen in person and we can save money that way. Some conferences can have a digital component to them, which I know we've been moving in that direction for a while anyway, but we can do more of that digital learning that will make things much more efficient and cost effective for people. And, and, and the extroverts, me and Susan are making faces. And I know, I mean, I, and I, I, like, even though I'm an introvert, I recognize the extreme importance of networking. I mean, I run a networking organization, so I am very much looking forward to getting back together. I, even though they're lawyers, I, I miss my lawyers and I very much looking forward to getting back together with them. Um, but being able to patch in maybe other members of their firms who aren't able to attend the in-person stuff would be really good for us. Um, and, you know, just finding other ways to do things more effectively 
uh, in certain ways, um, like some of the notarization things that that people were saying, oh, we, we weren't able to do these digital notarizations. Now they're finding, oh, maybe we can do them, um, you know, would be much more cost effective to clients too. I worry about my event in September, Lindsay, now that you bring that up, I have put that on the back burner because so many people are in that place of trying to adjust their own businesses. But I think that many feel like by September 24th, if this is still going to happen, that yeah. they would welcome the networking and, you know, personal, what, you know, contact and storytelling and that sort of thing. But I really am concerned that we may be looking at a whole new way of life by then. Yeah. Oh, still and no hugs. <laughs> I was going to say hugs and I bit my tongue. I'm like, gosh, I'm a hugger. What do I do? <laughs> I know. I said, cause my mom said that she was like, no hugging people you don't really know. And I was like, but I like some people I don't really know. Ladies, I'm going to have to hop off. I'm being paged by a little warlord. Yes. Love it. Okay. Well, we hear her. Yep. Um, have a wonderful week and I will see you next week. Thank you, Katie. Bye, y'all. All right. So I know, Susan, you're going to tee us up for next week. Before we do that, though, I wanted to wrap up. There was this quote I read in a book. Uh, I think it was, You Should Be Talking. Maybe You Should Be Talking to Someone, I think is the book. But the quote is fabulous, which is, uh, from Rainer Maria Rilke, which is a Czech poet, and it's let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. That was extremely appropriate to our current situation. I can't tell you how much that quote resonates with me personally every day, not just in this situation. Uh, this is very Buddhist philosophy where you're the law of no attachment. You're not um, attached to the outcome. You just sit with it. I love this. This is possibly my favorite quote I've ever heard. Thank it's you so beautiful. for sharing. Well, I'm so excited that you're on this show and that we're sharing our feelings and thoughts and findings because we're doing a lot of research for these shows. It's not just we're yammering on about our own feelings, which is also important, but we are actually doing a lot of research to bring this information to the public and maybe tapping into things that are you know, relate to others or things that are on your minds, or maybe you didn't think about, but you were struggling with these feelings and now you recognize what they are. So hopefully these conversations are helpful to others, not just the four of us on the calls. Um, but we will see you next week, each Friday. Uh, we will see you next week where Lindsay will address the very real, very pervasive fact of life known as depression. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day, folks. Bye-bye.